0: Welcome back to Story Magic, the podcast that will help you write a book you're damn proud of. I'm Emily. And
1: I'm Rachel. And today we want to talk about developing secondary characters. Yay! That cast of yours. I love secondary characters. I feel like (laughs) so often they're my favorite characters in in stories. I don't know about you, but... Yeah, yeah,
0: totally. They are usually, like, I feel like they can act as really special sparkling gems
1: Mm -hmm. But my
0: brain like completely forgets they exist
1: as I'm writing.
0: (laughs) I have to be very very conscious as I'm writing that like, oh, there should be more than just two people in my entire story.
1: (laughs) That is hilarious because I feel like I'm the exact opposite. I'm like, every character is a main character. I can't like, not think about like what everyone is doing at all times, and sometimes it's like, and we just focus, just focus. on the main story. Um, I'm like, my character just exists in her own little world, and maybe <laughs> a secondary character will show up eventually. <laughs> That's so funny, that is hilarious. Yeah. Um, but anyways, regardless of how you write your secondary characters, we need them, we love mm-hmm. them, we love reading stories about them, um, and. Today, we're going to talk about kind of how do you build your cast? Yes. How do you decide who should and shouldn't be in your story and and in what way? hmm Yeah. So let's start by talking about
0: like what is a secondary character? What Why do they exist? Or um, there's lots of terms that are thrown out, I think, talking about this same thing because there's secondary characters and there's tertiary characters and then that people mm-hmm. have all sorts of terminology for this but when we talk about secondary characters in this episode we're talking about any character who is not the main character who serves a purpose in the story so usually that's gonna be like a named character who has a semi prominent role whether on page or off the page um, they are they have a purpose they're, they're doing things they're not just like a nameless grunt in an army that shows up like once Um, This would be a character who is doing something that is not your main character.
1: Yeah. So when we – I think purpose is a great place to start because that is – that's where we answer that question of does this person need to be in the story or not? And Mm -hmm. the question is, well, do they have a purpose? And in that, what we mean is are they helping your main character through their journey? Are they supporting Mm -hmm. them both, I think – externally right like on the page are they a villain are they a sidekick are they a mentor like are they physically involved in your character's story right and then also thematically are they you know helping your character are they showing something about what your story is saying that is pushing your character along their arc of change are they involved in the themes of the story are they um you know, because if they're, if they're not really teaching your character something, if they're not really sh- – whether intentionally or not. Yeah. Um, but if they're not teaching your character something or involved in the themes of the story in some way, then you probably don't need them to mm-hmm. tell the story that you're trying to tell.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think this is what – this is what's really helped me. This idea of giving them a purpose has really helped me not, not just create um, – you know, random characters throughout my drafting. We've talked about this a lot. I'm a pantser. We know that on the podcast. Um, Mm -hmm. So like I was saying earlier, I normally don't have tons of plans for secondary characters. So they tend to pop up as I'm drafting. And then I'm like, oh, I have this idea for this really cool secondary character. Maybe it would be good to have like a third character in this story instead of just (laughs) my two main characters. Um, But before – before learning this, they would just kind of exist in the background mm-hmm. and and used as more of a deus ex machina kind of a device or just a, a person that shows up with no real rhyme or reason. And then I would have to like weave them into the fabric of the story. But when we learned about purposes of secondary characters and making sure that those purposes were in conversation with the themes of those stories, it gave me a lot of tools in my pants or tool belt to know when I create these random characters, what are they doing? Why are they here?
1: Mm-hmm. What
0: am I going? What's the direction I'm taking them in? And it, it helps me get like an instant snapshot of when this character walks on the page, how they're going to act. Uh, what purpose are they going to
1: fulfill yeah I love that yeah from a plotter perspective it it has a similar but sort of like other end of the spectrum role for me because I often you know when I'm starting a story and there's all the possibilities are laying out ahead of me right there's my cast tends to balloon yeah Um, and I've seen other plotters and especially folks who write like big epic stories and have Mm -hmm. big casts and you know, found family and all that, you can end up with, like, a lot of characters. And for me, it's been helpful. Um, Like, I have a theater troupe in my uh, current work in progress. And every draft, I kind of have to reevaluate who do I need um, based on the purpose that they're playing in the story, making sure everybody has a purpose, and making sure I'm not using multiple characters for the same purpose. Yeah, Um, Because oftentimes i found, like, With me and with clients that I've worked with who work the way that I do, sometimes you end up with like, you know, two or three characters who are serving the same role in the story and you can kind of combine them to streamline and focus your story into something that's very cohesive. Um, So this tool works on both ends of however you approach it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I Love think that. the
0: knowledge is what makes it really powerful. Yeah, because um, it, it's also been really helpful for me in revisions. So I have mm. two things, kind of two projects going simultaneously right, right now. Um, a draft that I finished earlier this year that has that I'm in revisions for, and then I started like a new fun project on the side. Um, that's been great. It's been super fun. Lots of drafting and that, and I have been able to apply these purposes to the characters that I've needed to create, but mm-hmm. on the flip side in revisions, it's helped me decide I actually do need someone else here to round out this cast, or I think I can combine these two characters over here because they're both doing the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, it's such a great knowledge concept to look at everything at any point in your story yep. and evaluate. Is it serving its purpose?
1: Yeah. All right. So we've,
0: we've told you it.
1: guys, we've talked a lot about how this tool has been useful, but what is the tool? What is it? So what do, what do we mean when we say your character needs a purpose? Yes. So let's
0: level set for a second. Um, at, our core of a character-driven story are two main concepts. The first is the story point, which is a term from Lisa Cron, um, and the story point is the message that the main character is essentially learning um, throughout their arc in order to succeed, to get what they want. Um, It's the message that the story will deliver to the reader. As readers, we connect with the main character. So we're on this journey of learning this message together. On the the other side of that coin is the internal obstacle belief, which is the flawed belief that is holding the main character back from achieving everything that they want to achieve so they start the story with the internal obstacle this flawed belief which they will which is leading their life which is influencing their life and their decision making um and they are unlearning that internal obstacle belief in order to learn the story point by the end of the story so those two concepts are in push and pull with each other in your characters throughout the whole story um Our secondary characters need to be in conversation with one or both of those things. Um, If you want to learn more about the story point and the internal obstacle, you can go back to our episode number three, Flawed People Are More Interesting, and you can go back to episode 21 which is about theme and story point. So if, you, if you're if you not super familiar with those concepts, I would pause here and I would go back and listen to those episodes and then come back to pick up because our secondary characters being in conversation with one or both of those things means that our purpose is serving to um, bolster or detract from the story point. Or the internal obstacle. So that's what we're going to be getting into. Is how do we make the purpose of these characters. Play with either the story point. Or the internal obstacle. Or both. And make sure our secondary character cast. Is revolving around a a similar journey. um, Or in conversation with. The journey that our main character is on.
1: Yeah. Love it. Um, It's like. It's this idea of like. You're taking what your character believes, like the flawed thing they believe and the thing that they need to learn. And then you're making sure that the, the rest of the story is kind of touching on those things and either mm-hmm. helping them believe those things or just exemplifying them in a thematic way for the reader so that your story feels cohesive. Because if you have your character learning something, you know, and they have this strong journey of change and then you have this secondary character who's like their issues are so totally not connected yeah. at all, then they're going to feel completely separate from your story. And like, you're going to be like the reader is going to kind of subconsciously be like, why is this person here?
0: So that's
1: what we're talking about today is like, how do you, once you kind of know this core of your story, the things that you're playing with um, the themes that you're playing with. And again, go to episode 21 for, for more on the difference between themes and story point, but it's, it's kind of taking that, that journey and then looking a little broader and being like, okay, how can we make sure all these other people are, are playing around with these ideas yeah Um, so in episode
0: 21 we use a metaphor that um picture a dance floor and the story point is the music that everybody is dancing to mm. but you have all sorts of different people on the dance floor that are moving in different ways and dancing to dancing in different ways feeling different things having different experiences but they're all dancing to the same music but if so, which would be the same story point. But if you take like yeah. someone who's listening to a completely different song and like has nothing to do with the <laughs> song everybody else is dancing to, they end up looking like a really funky person.
1: Like they <laughs> it look like doesn't yeah, belong in that it, room.
0: <laughs> it <does not> belong <laughs> in that room. They have no idea what's going on. So, our, if our story point is like our cohesive umbrella, it's the music that the whole cast of characters is moving to. But they can move to it in different ways. They can experience different things in order to tell, to prove the same message, to tell the same story.
1: I love it. That visual is really helpful. So what we're going to do for the rest of this episode is we're going to walk you through the five, uh, maybe we can bounce back and forth, yeah. the five main ways that your character can be in conversation with the themes of your story. Um, And then we will talk about a couple of examples. We'll give you some resources to go check out if you want to look at more examples. And we'll give you some tips and tricks for getting in those folks' heads at the end. Awesome. Sounds good. Do you want to start with number one? Purpose number one? Purpose number one. So the first purpose that one of your secondary characters can serve is um, being a character who represents the story point. Right. So this is someone who has already learned the lesson of the story. They already understand what your main character needs to learn. Um, And so they can help teach it to them in various ways this is often a mentor. This is like the, like when we talk about the mentor archetype, like oftentimes yeah. the mentor fits into this because they know the thing that the student needs to learn. And mm-hmm. they're just like constantly repeating it. The student yes. is just not listening. Right. Uh, so that's like the classic example, but it can also be, it could be a friend. It could be a minor character. It can even be the antagonist. If the, mm-hmm. um if your character is has this flawed belief that they can't get over and they're not seeing eye to eye with the person who understands the story point that can make that person the antagonist from their perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is someone, this is pro- someone who likely doesn't change very much throughout the story. Um, they might have a minor arc. It depends on kind of how you, how you uh, do it, but usually they don't change a whole lot because they already know the lesson and their goal is to to teach it.
0: Yes. Um, the second purpose is kind of a converse to the first purpose. So if we have, or if we're thinking about a secondary character who represents the story point, we could also have, uh, for the second purpose, a different secondary character who maybe would represent the main character's internal obstacle. So this character would be struggling against um, the same or an extremely similar internal block, internal obstacle that the main character has and then would represent what would happen if that main character does not change. Um, So this could also be a villain or an antagonist where you have this this character who's like the extreme version of your main character's flawed beliefs, like taken to the extreme. They never learned any differently. And so they represent like the cautionary tale, perhaps. Um, You could also have this be a minor character who is struggling against the same thing—they um they n- are not necessarily changing at the same time or at the same rate as the main character. So the main character sees them and says, "Okay, so this will be what what happens to me if I don't change." That yeah. would be the sometimes this is a parent,
1: yeah. Um, uh, sometimes this is the parent because in parents pass their beliefs to their children oftentimes. And so sometimes internal obstacles get passed from parent to child. And so a child, you know, who's going through that change in the story then looks at their parent and is like, Oh, that's what's going to happen to me if I don't, Mm -hmm. you know, shed this belief or learn the story point or whatever. Um, Yeah. So you can think outside the box, but yes. um, But yeah, so we've got character who represents the story point or a character who represents the internal obstacle. So then the third purpose that a secondary character can serve is um, a character whose positive arc proves the story point. So this is different from number one, because this is a character who doesn't already know the story point when the story starts. Um, They also need to learn it. Um, And so they are going on an arc of change Simultaneously to your main character and oftentimes they learn the story point either right before or right after your main character does um, in order to teach it to them right so they're going on this journey with them and they kind of are learning together learning from each other, and this character also overcomes their internal obstacle which could be slightly different. but they need to learn this a similar or the same message as the main character. And so they are emerging at the end of the story, having changed um, just like your main character did. And so this is often like where you see love interests in romance mm-hmm. um, yeah. because they have to learn something similar in order to not the same, right? Because yeah, they're different people. They have slightly different internal obstacles, but they need to learn a lesson that is um, is related to what the other person has to learn uh, in a cohesive story. So we end up with like, oh, we both have learned we don't have to be perfect in different ways, yes. right? <laughs> and now we can be in love. Um, so that's where you'll often see that or it can be a friend or even an antagonist, you know, in, in a story where two people are fighting for something and then are fighting against each other for something and they learn that's not the real goal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Like competition stories and stuff.
0: Yeah, if I were to bucket where I think most secondary characters live, um, in, in the drafts that I've seen, I'm not necessarily talking about finished, uh, published works, but I think most people naturally land in this bucket, whether or not they realize it, um, yeah. they're trying to create a character on a similar journey and they're both learning the same thing. Um, so this is a very common bucket and this is where I see characters that overlap, secondary characters that, that tend to mm. multiple people doing the same thing. And so if you have like three or four other characters that are, that are falling under this purpose, that's where I would ask yourself, okay, of, of my secondary characters that are all falling under this purpose, can I combine any of them? Can I cut any of them? Or do they all, are they all engaging with this purpose in a unique and individual contributory way? Yeah. Love it. Okay, so number four so our fourth purpose that your secondary character can have is to be a character whose negative arc proves the story point so similarly to the last one this is a character who needs to learn the story and is struggling with a similar internal obstacle as your main character but in this case they do not overcome it when given the chance like they would in purpose number three in this case the um the character experiences a negative arc they don't overcome their internal obstacle. And then there are consequences of their failures, of their negative arc, of their decline that prove your story point message. Um, so this one's very solidly a, a villain or an antagonist. Sometimes that that's, I've seen this very often in a best friend character who is like a push and pull type of relationship, maybe some type of rivals or, or competition Relationship, not necessarily a villain, but more in that you're in competition with this friend. Um, and that person does not overcome their internal obstacle. So through their failure, they prove the story point message. And that's how we stay in conversation with our themes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so that's different than the um, character who represents the internal obstacle. Yes, they leave yeah. the internal obstacle throughout the whole thing, but this character has the potential to change. Yes. In um, number two, we're talking about a character who is so entrenched in the internal obstacle that there's like, they're not changing. They don't mm-hmm. even try to change, right? And so in, in purpose number five, five, no, four. Four, four. <laughs> Purpose number four, where their negative arc is uh, proving the story point, they show the potential to change. They are changing through the story. And then at the last minute, at the end of the story, they fail to and their failure and the consequences of that um prove that they would have been better off changing, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that's that's the difference there. So then the last one, and this is probably the the least common, but it's I think it's really fun, is <laughs> a character who goes against the story point. So this is this is a character who's created to complicate the message of the story. So I often see this in. Um, in minor characters in stories that are like satires or where the uh the author is trying to make a point that that their story point message is not as like clear cut as the character may think it is um or they're trying to counter or or complicate what they're saying so i'll see this in satires or i'll also see it in stories that are dealing with really difficult themes where it's hard to make a very singular statement about a thing right about like how to deal with trauma or how to deal with like racism or something like that right you might have characters who are like slightly counter to the to the story point just to provide this depth again this is not where I would start yes (laughs) (laughs) um but I do think it's important to know that like you can you don't have to have every character in your story like very clearly articulate the same message or lesson you can complicate your story by um by adding characters in this way
0: yeah, I think so long as you're doing it on purpose, like I would not use number yeah. five as like your argument of why you shouldn't change a character that you had no intention of doing this for, but then somehow yeah. somebody gave you feedback that was like, I don't really get the purpose of this character. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, they're going against the story point. And that was on purpose. Yeah. If it was great, if it <laughs> just don't, I would not use this one as like your catch bucket for the characters that don't make sense.
1: Yeah. Um, Use this you want to be very really intentional. Yes,
0: very intentional, very thoughtful of this secondary character's role in the story and how they're going to complicate the message of that yeah. of your story point. How they're going to counter that message, um, and like what what I know you're yes you like <laughs> yeah, I'm going to
1: talk about Charlotte
0: Lucas. I know, <laughs> so I know. it's fine. <laughs> but like the consequences of this character's. um, arc or like their journey in the story like you can play with those consequences in a really interesting way to say some interesting things but you do still need to be aware of what this character is saying through what they're doing
1: yeah essentially you're not trying to necessarily counter the story point as much as complicate it yeah right So, like, I said I wasn't going to talk about Charlotte Lucas, but here we are talking about Charlotte Lucas. In Pride and Prejudice, Lizzie's whole arc is around learning that love can overcome the obstacles of class. That, like, money doesn't have to get in the way of her and Darcy being together. Yes. Um, And Charlotte Lucas is a character who stands counter to that because she marries someone not for love and for money because her circumstances are different than Lizzie's and because the author is trying to say yes I've written this romantic book yes Yes, it's something of a satire but like the reality of the world of Jane Austen's world is exemplified in Charlotte Lucas so Jane Austen is saying this is how I want the world to work right I want the world to to be able to overcome the obstacles of class. But the reality of it is in this small character who I put in here to show that, like, I'm not that naive, basically, right. and that the world is not that simple and, like, fairy tale romantic. So there's a lot of intention behind Charlotte Lucas, and that's what we're getting at with this number five. Yeah. So
0: we jumped into Charlotte as an example. Should we just go ahead and move on to our yeah. Let's the other do some examples, examples that we have? examples. Okay. Um, where should we start? Why don't we talk about Lady Catherine since we're already talking about Pride and Prejudice?
1: Let's do it.
0: Okay. So Lady Catherine de Bourgh is a secondary character in Pride and Prejudice. She is Darcy's aunt. She is a super rich lady who does not want Darcy and Elizabeth to marry She is totally against it and she goes to Elizabeth and tells her, um, basically, you're not good enough for my nephew and your family sucks and get out of here. So (laughs) um, Lady Catherine is like a really compelling secondary character and she's an antagonist for sure. Okay, so I would say that Lady Catherine represents um, our purpose number two which is that a character who represents the main character's internal obstacle. So Lady Catherine represents Lizzie's internal obstacle. Lizzie's internal obstacle is that um, basically rich people are selfish and arrogant. And so Lady Catherine is selfish and arrogant. She does represent that. And, Um, She shows up at the end of the story to confront Lizzie about the proposal between Lizzie and Mr. Darcy. She humiliates Lizzie and her family, proving that arrogance. Um, And because Lizzie has changed throughout the story, she's gotten to this point and she realizes that Mr. Darcy is nothing like Mm. Lady Catherine. She realizes that some people – some wealthy people may be selfish, but not all of them are. And in fact, Mr. Darcy is not selfish and arrogant at all. And she's been he's wrong. He's nothing she's, like his he's, he's nothing like her. Um, <laughs> so she has had pride and prejudice about the rich people. Um, so in that way, Lady Catherine clearly serves as what Lizzie thinks as her internal obstacle. Money makes you selfish and arrogant. Um, but through Lady Catherine, she's able to see that Darcy is not like that, and that helps her yeah. fully cement her the the unlearning of her internal
1: obstacle. Love it. Awesome. So, okay, so I want to talk about romance a little bit, um, okay. and I'm going to use "An Ember in the Ashes" by to Tahir because it's it's not a romance story. The romance is the subplot, but in An Ember in the Ashes, you have two main characters. You have Laya, who's the main main character, and then you have Elias, who is um, the secondary POV. And they are love interests throughout the series. Um, And in the first book, Laia's internal obstacle is that some people are inherently strong and others are inherently weak. And so she has to learn throughout book one that she has power. Um, And that her power lies in her own hands. Right. No one can take that from her. Um, She gets to decide her strength. And the reason I want to bring this up is because I think people can sometimes get hung up on um, the secondary character, similar arcs as being like they have to have the same internal obstacle and the same lesson. Right. And you, you don't want them to be so similar that the characters are the same, right? You want them to be in conversation with one another. And so while Laya is going on this journey of learning that she has strength, right? To, to prove the story point that her, po- you know, your power lies in your hands and your hands only. Um, that literally means like her strength, right? But Elias is learning. He, he's basically, uh, he's a soldier in a martial academy and he feels like he has no freedom. He feels like he doesn't have freedom of choice. He doesn't agree with what he's being asked to do. And he thinks the only way he can free himself from having to make terrible decisions is by physically running away from the academy. And so his journey throughout the book is learning that he always has a choice that, Mm -hmm. um, and so that's a, it's not about strength for him, right? It's about choice. And, In the end, he learns, I have the choice, like, I can choose to do the right thing, the thing that I believe in, no matter what. Um, And that teaches him the story point that your power lies in your hands and your hands only. So for him, it's the power of choice. For Laya, it's the power of strength. And so they are similar stories. They, are, they feel cohesive because they're both learning to claim their own power, but they're very different stories. One is about strength and one is about freedom um, and choice. And so they don't feel redundant. So I, I love that example. And I think we see a, a lot of arcs that are similar to that in, um, in romances, in friendships, mm-hmm. in buddy-buddy stories and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I, I think they the key with these types of friendship arcs or these the key where the this secondary character is experiencing a positive arc alongside the main character has a lot to do with what they what they can teach each other as well. Um, we should do an episode on this in the future, but um, there's a tool that we've used before called the romance conflict square. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to look up the title real fast so we can credit the right person. If you hear me typing, that's what it is. So um, Sophie Pembroke has a blog post about this. It's called Three Ways a Conflict Square Can Fix Your Romance Novel. And I think this applies to any romance relationship or a relationship where two people are on a similar journey and trying to push and pull each other to learn. Um, A similar thing. So uh, this tool, I would encourage you to look it up because it helps you think through how these two characters are going to teach each other um, the lessons that they need to learn and keep them like um, in this push and pull with each other. How to use each character's emotional conflict to further their journeys of change. Um, It's a very helpful tool. Um, We'll link it in the show notes but we should do an episode on that eventually. Um, Yeah, it's meant for romance, but I do think there's value in using this tool to think about just two characters who are trying to help each other learn something important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think that's where the distinction between like story point, right? The message of the story, let's say for Ember in the Ashes is your power lies in your hands and your hands only. That's the message of the book as a whole. Um, but then, Lia and Elias have slightly different lessons they need to learn. Mm-hmm. Lia has to learn that her strength is her own, and she get, she needs to claim it, right? And then Elias needs to learn that he his choices are his own, and he needs to own the consequences. And so, those are slightly different lessons. So, I think it can be helpful if you're if you do feel like you have a lot of characters in your cast yeah. that are all on positive arcs, look at what are the slightly di- slightly different lesson like Mm -hmm. slightly different versions of the story point that they all need to learn that kind of fit under that umbrella of what you're trying to say with your story as a whole and get into the specifics of like, what does this person need to learn? Um, That can help get into the nuance of it while still remaining in conversation with the themes of the story. Yeah.
0: Let's talk about Prince Zuko for a second um my boyfriend prince zuko (laughs) so zuko is an interesting character because he has a redemption arc throughout the entire avatar the last airbender story um in that story avatar the last airbender is broken up basically into three seasons they are called books So each season is called book one, book two, book three. So that's what we're going to be referencing them as, but just know this is a TV show. It's an amazing Mm -hmm. TV show and you should watch it. Um, But book one, the first season, um, Zuko is very firmly an antagonist. And as a secondary character, he lives in um, the number four purpose, which is a character whose negative arc proves the story point. So as Zuko is desperately trying to catch Aang, who is the avatar acts as an antagonist to Aang throughout all of that season and then at the end of the season experiences of a, a really big failure and has to go through his own kind of personal reckoning of oh no i have no honor and i've kind of really messed up this world um he is he experiences a negative arc in that first book um he does not change he has the choice to his uncle iroh gives him the choice multiple times to change and he chooses not to and there are really negative consequences that come out of that both for him and for the world around him um so in book one he serves that negative arc purpose but in book two he's kind of in a um, in a purgatory zone. He's in this zone of like trying to figure out what he wants to be. Does he want to change? Does he not want to change? Uncle Iroh is trying to encourage him to change. Uncle Iroh actually is a great secondary character who represents mm-hmm. the story point. Um, and- Classic acts, mentor. Classic <laughs> mentor. He acts as a mentor to Zuko, trying to get him to change. But in this, in book two, Zuko represents Aang's internal obstacle of like, what would happen if Aang didn't try to to change? What would Mm. happen if Aang gave up his responsibilities? And so in book two, Zuko is very much in this this zone of, I have no idea what to do with my life. Then he experiences um, a full redemption at the beginning of book three a rejection of his past life, and Zuko then represents the positive arc, which is purpose number three, a character whose positive arc proves the story point, we're able to see through Zuko's redemption how powerful love and friendship are for bringing balance back to the world. So we're able to see throughout all of these He Zuko firmly lands in that number three category, but he like bounces around to different purposes, depending on where he's at in his arc and essentially which season or which book of the story we're in. Um, I think his arc is really beautiful and very intentional in that it's, it's always playing around. Can evil people redeem themselves? What does it look like if they don't? And what does it look like if they do? And ultimately Mm -hmm. he does. Um, It's a beautiful representation of even the worst of us who have really hurt us can still be redeemed and become a really good friend.
1: Yeah. And he's so, like, intentionally designed to push Aang along, you know, the main character of the the show, along on his arcs. I love that. Yeah. And I think that that just goes to show, right, just like main characters, if you're writing a series – Your secondary characters can and probably should have different types of arcs in each book because that provides, you know, variety that's Mm -hmm. normal for human life. Like sometimes we change, sometimes we don't, sometimes we lag, sometimes we have, you know, big bursts of of change at once. And those changes or lack of changes that we're going through have impacts on the people around us. And so you can think through your your series for each of your secondary characters, like how Now that I know how my main character is going to change or not change in each book, how can I put my secondary characters in conversation with that and pushing them along those journeys? And what can they exemplify at different spots along the way? I love it. Love it. So to to wrap us up today, we've got Mm -hmm. some, some tips and tricks for... Exploring your secondary characters, which spoiler are not really that different from (laughs) tips and tricks for exploring your main character because they're people and you want to make them three-dimensional, right? So some of the things that that I use um, when I am developing my secondary characters is figuring out what they want, what they believe, what their desires and flaws are, right? Just like you would for any main character, um what is what is at their heart what makes them three-dimensional what makes them human um and what's driving them is really important especially for secondary characters I think because we want them to be acting consistently on the page I think sometimes it can be um easy to make them just serve your main character whatever you need to be happening for your main character which is fine for early drafts right but eventually we want them to be to be consistent in their actions. Um, And I also think it can help sometimes if you're stuck in a scene where a secondary character is deeply present to go. I actually just did this with a client. She reached her midpoint and she realized that her character's uh, grandfather is playing a much bigger role in the story than she thought. But his actions weren't consistent because we hadn't done very much character development with him in the first half of the story. And so we paused and we are doing a bunch of backstory stuff and a bunch of like deep thinking to figure out what is he actually trying to do throughout the first half of the story? And what's he going to try to do after the midpoint? And also how did her history with him shape who she is and what she believes and the choices that she's going to make. So sometimes if you're stuck, I think it can help to look at who else is involved in this and do I know why they're doing what they're doing? Yeah. Um, And writing backstory is a really great way to get to know them. Writing scenes from their perspective, even if you're not going to put them in the book that way, um, can help you get some insight into why they're doing what they're doing. Um, So all of those tools that you would use to get into your main characters head are excellent tools to use for your secondary characters.
0: Yes. Um, And we have episodes, podcast episodes on goals. Um, Episode seven is WTF is agency. I would also check out episode 20, which is internal goals, give characters dimensions. All of those episodes are going to be very helpful for secondary characters as well. Um, and Emily said this, but if, if you're like me and you know you come up with ideas of secondary characters kind of as you're drafting, um, more of a pantsing type of style, the first question I ask myself is, do I know yet what purpose they serve and can I give them at least the purpose Even if I can't quite answer what their full beliefs and desires and flaws are going to be, if when they step on the page, I'm like, okay, I'm going to have this character represent the main character's internal obstacle, it gives me direction to get me started, knowing that I'm in the right direction. I still need to flesh them out, but I do have an idea of why they're here and how they will be in conversation with my main character and with um, the themes of my story. So that's usually where I start to give me enough to keep writing so that I don't necessarily have to pause, but then I eventually get there. There, there definitely is whether in revisions or at some point through the story, then I pause and kind of develop them. um, Let them marinate a little bit in my head, let them cure, let them dry out age and then see what comes out, what, what I end up, wanting them to be um write that backstory um this is one of like the biggest things that we see in our tenacious writing community is how much backstory helps our writers so please don't push that off it's it is very very helpful if you've been struggling with this um do the backstory get in it with the villain figure out what they want
1: um it can so feel helpful. like it's going to be a waste of time to like write yeah. to write a scene you've already written but from someone else's point of view just to get in their head or write backstory for a character who's like not even a point of view character, right? I wrote 20,000 words of backstory to get to know my villain because he was so complicated um, and I didn't understand him enough uh, between drafts. So you don't have to do that. I'm not saying you have to yeah. do that. But I'm just saying that getting to know your secondary characters has a is a really, really good way to add depth to your story and like a lot of intention um, so that the characters are, are feeling cohesive.
0: Awesome. All right, so we have some further notes on this. So we do have a blog post about this exact topic. If you want to visualize this, see it in writing, see some more examples, um, that link will be in the show notes. We also have a full masterclass on secondary characters in our Tenacious Writing program. So this is your invitation. Um, If you have not yet looked at Tenacious Writing, check it out. The link is in the show notes. Um, It is our perfect combo of craft, mindset, and community resources that will help you build um, a sustainable, fulfilling, and exciting writing life that works for you to help you finish this book and every other book moving forward um so we also have a link for that in the show notes um and then we're gonna put that link for that conflict square by sophie pembroke so you can go check that out too coco cool awesome if you want to build a successful fulfilling and sustainable writing life that works for you you've got to get on our email
1: list Sign up now to get our free email course, The Magic of Character Arcs. After seven days of email magic, you'll have the power to keep your readers flipping pages all through the night. Link in the show notes. We'll see you there. Bye. Bye.